you would, take your Bible and open to Galatians chapter 6. So this is, maybe not for you, <laughs> but for me, a, a very bittersweet Sunday in terms of preaching because this is the last sermon technically working our way through the book of Galatians. And so when you invest so much time in a, in a book and study and prepare, it's, it is bittersweet when you get to the end. Now we're going to spend the next several weeks up through Advent and Christmas riffing off some of the themes in Galatians and kind of pulling that forward. And then we're going to begin 2021 with a study of the fruit of the Spirit. So we're not completely getting away from Galatians after, after this morning, but in terms of expositional, just working our way through the book, this takes us to the, to the end of the book. Before we get uh, looking at these final verses in Galatians chapter 6, quick heads up. Now, if you're watching this later in the week, not Sunday morning, please don't laugh at what I'm about to say, okay? So if you're watching this later in the week, stay with me. We're going to make an announcement that this afternoon, we are still going to go ahead with our Fall Fest Trunk or Treat event. Uh, Courtney, uh, my heart just breaks for her. She has put so much work this year into event after event for our kids that hasn't been able to happen. We didn't get our Easter event. Obviously, that was not a good time of, of the year. VBS didn't work out. Kids camp didn't work out. It just feels like one event after another. And so we watched the weather about 24 hours ago, and it looked like the cold front was going to hold off, and we were going to be okay. And, well, it's a little colder today than we, than we planned. So on, on a positive note, the snow cone truck will be here uh, this afternoon. So we'll have snow cones to serve. And, and if you just want to drive through multiple times and pick up as many hot dogs as your family would like, just keep coming through, and we'll just keep handing out, keep handing out hot dogs. We are gonna, we're going to go for this. Um, we're going to do our best. And, and so she puts so much work into this, and so many volunteers are a part of it. And our kids so badly want to be a part of something like this. So uh, we're, we're going to give it a shot. That's all I can say. And if you're watching later in the week, you can tell whether or not this went well uh, for, for us this afternoon. But, but that's the plan. If you do park in that south parking lot in front of the older style brick building, if you could move your car immediately after the service, I know some people go to lunch and they'll leave their car here for a while in the afternoon. If you park over on that south side by Compass or the offices, if you can move your, your car after the, uh, you go to Sunday school or after the worship service, that, that will help us out a lot. Okay, let's get at it. Here we go. Let's wrap up Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says here, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. 
And let's follow that amen with our own prayer this morning as, as we begin. Father, thank you for the gift of music and the way we're able to gather together to celebrate your holiness, the way we sing those things together. God, thank you for the gift of Sunday school that's happening in the other building right now and so many of the preschool and elementary and youth Sunday school teachers that love these kids and invest in their families. God, thank you for that gift as part of a church. God, I pray that this morning, as we look at things that intellectually we could quickly say, yeah, I already know that, God, that you would guard our hearts against a spirit that says, I already know that, I don't need to hear it again. God, we need to hear the good news of Jesus over and over and over again. And so, God, we bring ourselves to you. God, we open our hearts to your word, asking that you would remind us of the truth of the gospel and that we would live in that each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as many of you know, and I've probably mentioned along the way, my mom was a fifth grade teacher for years and years and years, and even after she retired, she still is around school serving as a teacher's aide, now for pre-K instead of fifth grade, but she taught fifth grade for probably 37 years, something like that, as a, as a classroom teacher. And one thing that my mom emphasized, if you went to the school and you asked kids, who is the scariest, meanest teacher there? They probably would have said Mrs. Neese. If you asked them, who's your favorite teacher at school, they probably would have said Mrs. Neese. That's just the way that she ran a classroom. And one thing that she emphasized was handwriting. You did not dare turn a paper into my mom if the handwriting was poor. Like she wanted to see that you had really put some work into that paper and that you wrote correctly and that you had, you had great handwriting. Now, mark this on your calendar. January 23rd, is National Handwriting Day. There's a day for everything now, but, but January 23rd is National Handwriting Day. I'll give you a guess at whose birthday is on January 23rd. Not my mom, though that would have been a good guess. <laughs> John Hancock. So John Hancock's birthday is January 23rd, and National Handwriting Day is January 23rd. Why is that? Well, when we think about writing our signature, and, and can I just tell you the hours I devoted as a little kid to perfecting my signature from when I was a professional athlete, that I would be ready when the time came to sign my name and someone would pay for it. That never happened, but I, was, I put a lot of time into it. Our, Jan, our John Hancock, that huge signature that you think about there at the, at the bottom of the declaration, and John Hancock serving as the president of that Continental Congress, and what we don't know is exactly why he signed his name so large. It seems to have had something to do with him serving as the leader. There's some indications that it actually reflected his personality, that he was a bit showy in his personality, but it had probably more to do with the fact that he was taking the lead. Some people said he signed his name big because he wanted to show it to the king of England. The problem is that that particular document would have never gone in front. So he was signing his name big as a sign to the people that he was going to be leading, that he was leading forward in this way. Now, why do we talk about handwriting? Because you have verse 11. What is this verse doing in the book of Galatians? Chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my hand. Now, I know it doesn't come across particularly well, 
on the screen, but I wanted to, to, uh, to see a copy of an ancient Greek manuscript. This is not Galatians 6. This is actually Matthew 1.1. And our ancient manuscripts that we have that show us the copies of the New Testament that were made, some of them are in all lowercase. So this is going to be Greek in all lowercase with some very funky letters. A lot of them, though, were also written in uppercase. The next screen is going to show you actually Galatians chapter 6, the portion that we're studying this morning, all written in uppercase. And if you notice, there's not very distinct spacing between the words. A lot of times they would just go letter after letter after letter, which makes it very difficult to read and, and, and make sense of here. Now the question is, why would Paul say here, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand? Some people think that Paul is doing this. He wrote with large letters because he had bad eyesight. There are actually indications back in Galatians chapter 4 that Paul's eyesight may have not been particularly good, and so he had to write with large letters. Another reason that he wrote with large letters might have been that he just wasn't particularly good at writing. So he had to make very large, careful letters because he didn't write very often. When you think about Paul's letters in the New Testament, he did not put pen to paper for most of those letters. In fact, for almost any of it, he would not have been the one putting pen to paper. They would use secretaries. And so Paul would dictate, or someone in the ancient world writing a letter would dictate or speak what they wanted to be written, and it would be written. And so up to this point in Galatians, Paul has probably been speaking what he wanted to be written, and then he gets to the end and he says, let me have that pen. (laughs) So he takes the pen from the secretary and he's telling the Galatians, look with what large letters I'm writing to you. It's probably an indication of the emphasis that he wants to put. He says, I've given you all of this material up to this point, and now I want to emphasize it. I want to summarize it for you. And so what we're going to find here at the end of Galatians is a summary of the gospel that Paul has been preaching up to this point. What I hope you will hear this morning, Emmaus, and those of you that are watching at home, what I hope you'll hear this morning is a direct summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I could take what has been presented in the, go- in, the, in the book of Galatians up to this point and summarize it, this is how we would summarize it because we're just following Paul's lead. And what you're going to find is really neat. The end of the book connects with the beginning of the book. He laid out his points in the beginning, he described them in the middle, and now he's gonna come out back at the end and he's gonna summarize it. So let's start this way. Point number one that I want you to get, the first gospel theme is salvation by grace through faith. This idea back in verse, or chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then at the very end in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This word grace is not a throwaway word here. It frames the book of Galatians that this is about the grace of God that has been shown, how God, his goodness and his mercy and his riches overflow to us, not because we are worthy, but because he is good. The word grace reminds us that we do not receive from God because we are worthy. 
We receive from God because he is good and he has poured himself out to us. Let me show you a couple of other verses early in Galatians that make sense of this. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, here it is again, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there actually is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel comes from God. This is not something we made up. This is not something we discovered on our own. It is revealed to us by God. Now, look at chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12, as we see God's grace shown to us, notice the contrast that Paul is going to show here in chapter 6, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. What we know from the book of Galatians is that all along, Paul has been battling against these opponents. He's been trying to preach the gospel, and there have been others who have been coming in, and they're trying to preach another gospel, and their gospel is, if you really want to be worthy of receiving God's salvation, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. And and primarily, they were focused on, you need to be circumcised. You need to fulfill the law, the Mosaic law, in order to receive God's salvation. What does Paul say about that here? He says that these people, all they want to do is they want to make a good showing in the flesh and they are trying to force you to be circumcised. God's gospel is salvation by grace through faith. Man's gospel is focused on looking good on the outside. Is my appearance right? Am I doing all the right things? Am I checking all the right boxes? It's based on force and manipulation. We have to be so careful here. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a supernatural work in a person's life. It is nothing that we can force or manipulate. Persuade, yes. Persuasion is good and and biblical. Forcefulness and manipulation is not from the Lord. The work that God does, salvation by grace received through faith, cannot be manipulated, cannot be coerced, cannot be forced. It is something that God does in our hearts by his spirit. And our worth comes not through obeying the law, as would be laid out by the false teachers. Our worth is only because of God's goodness and love shown to us. So point number one, let me wrap it up like this. First gospel theme Salvation by grace through faith. It comes from God as an overflow of his love. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, remember, 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 you didn't earn that. You didn't come up with that idea on your own. It comes from God. And it's necessary because sin and death can't be solved with human knowledge or power. There are two problems in the world that no person is ever going to take care of on their own. Sin and and death. Jesus took care of both of those. It's not based on human worth or good works. Thank God for that. Your salvation in Christ is not because of how worthy you were to receive it, but because of how good God is. And it's not caused by force or manipulation, but it's received with faith and allegiance to Jesus. That's the foundation. 
That's the beginning point when Paul is speaking to people about the gospel. Now here's point number two. It's salvation by grace through faith, and it's based on the cross of Christ. When you go back to verse one in chapter one, the letter opens with Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is going to talk a lot in Galatians about the cross, but he begins with the resurrection so people will see that the cross was not a defeat, but it was actually a path to victory. So he begins the letter with a focus on resurrection, but he's gonna give a lot of emphasis to the cross. Verse three and four. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Now watch the connection with chapter six, verse 12, if you have that open in front of you. Chapter six, verse 12 that we read a second ago, the first half of it, it's those who wanna make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Persecuted by whom? Probably by other Jews. People who were saying, if you're gonna preach the cross, you're not really following the way of God. And Paul says, whoa, time out. The cross is the only way of God. This is the only hope that we have. We're not calling people to be circumcised to get their life together to receive God's salvation. Our salvation is ultimately based on the cross of Christ, which is how you get to verse 13. Verse 13, Paul says, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Here are two indications of the false teachers. Two things to always, always, always pay attention to in religion. Hypocrisy and pride. Two things that will destroy any church, any person, any group, hypocrisy and pride. To say, yeah, yeah, you gotta do these things and then you turn around and that person's not actually carrying out those things that they talk about. And the other thing is this idea of pride. Now, if this verse sounds a little bit crude, it means that you're reading it correctly. That's, that's the straightest way I can say to you. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The feeling here is that these Judaizers who are coming in and corrupting the church, they are keeping pretty clear statistics of the people that they win to their side. This is the type of religion where a lot of emphasis is put on counting converts and how many people we can get to sign up for our group and how do you normally focus, where do you normally focus your energy if you're gonna count converts or get people to your side? You focus on force and manipulation. You'll do whatever it takes to be able to get people to your side and Paul says that is not the way we operate. Look at verse 14. Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a great verse in the New Testament. That if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm gonna boast about the cross of Christ. And when the call is to come and die, to come and give up your life in order to find life, at that point, the focus is never on counting numbers. <laughs> the focus is never on building up how great you are. The call is to take up the cross 
and to follow Jesus. And when Paul says here that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, he is saying I'm not going to live my life based on worldly definitions of success. I'm not going to live my life chasing after worldly power. And I'm not going to live my life loving the things of the world. This is that 1 John 2 language that you might be familiar with where we're told not to love the world or the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Paul says those things have been crucified. This is that great Galatians 2 verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then look down at verse 17 as we keep this kind of this cross theme going here. Look at verse 17. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now this word marks here could have to do with branding something. So you think about branding an an animal with a mark. It's also the word that's connected to getting a tattoo, so having having your body branded in, in that way. Paul says, If you want to see what my life is all about, my body is literally marked with scars that show that I'm a follower of Jesus. (laughs) So, Paul says, you can have your Christian t-shirt, you can have your Christian necklace, your cross necklace, you can even have your tattoo, but if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, look at my body, look at the suffering I've faced, look at what I have dealt with because I believe so strongly in following the way of Jesus. This takes us to point number two, this summary idea. Number one, salvation by grace through faith. Number two, that salvation comes through the cross of Christ. Notice the distinction. And I guess if I was gonna just put everything to the side and ask you to key on on one thing this morning, it might be this particular point. The danger that Paul is worried about is that a person would look clean on the outside, but they would be scarred and messed up on the inside. The gospel says, I'm actually clean on the inside, even though the outside might look scarred or unimpressive. That distinction should shape the way we live as a church and the way we live as followers of Jesus. Because let's be honest, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, even in the church, we can put more emphasis on making sure it looks like we have everything together on the outside, even though we know things are a mess on the inside. Paul says the gospel flips that inside out. And he says the outside may not look particularly impressive, but God is doing a good work on the inside. He is making me new from the inside out. And the question is, do we understand what it means to live a cross-shaped life? A life where we don't define success by the world, we don't chase after worldly power, and we don't love the things of the world because those have been crucified to us. And instead, what I want more than anything else is for my life to reflect the cross of Jesus. If you're gonna brag about anything, if you're gonna boast about anything, does my life, does my body, does my family, does our church reflect the message of the cross of Christ? That leads us to the next idea. Gospel theme number three is that we have been created new to be new creations, to live a spirit-filled life 
Back in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, this concept of salvation says that in Christ, we have been delivered from the present evil age. But when you look at the world around us, doesn't it still look like we live in a present evil age? How do you make sense of this? This graph up here on the, the screen. Hey, that came across better than I thought it would. Oh, okay, I'm, I was hoping it would be clear. This is the clearest way I know to explain to you the concept of New Testament theology. We live in what is often called the overlap of the times or the in-between the times. We live in this box in the middle, the now and the not yet. Has Jesus' salvation broken into the world? Yes, absolutely. Or have we been made new from the inside out? Yes, absolutely. Has sin and death been completely eradicated from the world? No, no. We, we stare that reality in the face every single day. And so as followers of Jesus, what we are called to do is to live in that box, to live as those who have been made new, but to live that out in the middle of a world where that has not completely come to fruition. We have not fully seen all that God is going to do in and through when he makes everything new in the new creation. This is what Paul is getting at, which takes us down to verse 15. Look at verse 15. He says there, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. So Paul's not trying to get people to avoid circumcision, but he's also not pushing it either. He said, if you are focused on circumcision or non-circumcision, you're focused on the wrong thing. What is Paul focused on? The new creation. He says, as the people of God who have been saved by grace through faith based on the cross of Christ, sin and death are defeated, for us, the focus is on how do we live as new creation people in this world, anticipating the world to come. Here's where your Old Testament is so much fun. The Old Testament, as it looks forward to the Messiah and looks forward to how God will make all things new, the indication that that will come is that the Holy Spirit will come in power. And that's exactly what has happened in the church 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation, living that out in the middle of a world that's full of sin and death. Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Gospel theme number one, salvation by grace through faith. We didn't earn this. We didn't come up with this. This is a gift of God received through faith. Gospel theme number two, it's based on the cross of Christ, which impacts the way we live. Gospel theme number three, it leads to new creation, spirit-filled living. So the Holy Spirit transforms how we live. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this good fruit grows up in my life that I know that I could never have done that on my own. That love, joy, peace, all that fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes what you value. The Holy Spirit changes what you focus your life toward. 
the Holy Spirit changes what you define as success. Those are the things that the Spirit of God does in our life, and it creates what we talked about recently, an eternal perspective. God, please do away with sin and death completely. Please destroy sin and death completely. We know that that victory is sure, but we live every day staring those realities in the face, and we know how much it hurts. And that's why the church prays, come, Lord Jesus, come and and be rid of sin, be rid of death. But in the middle of that, we live with both freedom and urgency. We live with freedom because we've been set free from sin and death through Jesus. But we also live with urgency because we know that so many people are enslaved to sin and so many people are enslaved to the fear of death. And so what does God do? He sends us out to live as new creation beings filled with the Holy Spirit in the middle of a very difficult and very painful world. How can you do that? How are you able to do that? Because of God's grace and because of the power of the cross and the resurrection. Number four, the fourth theme, and and this theme runs all throughout Galatians, but it's the theme about transformed relationships. That everything that I've been talking about for the last few minutes is not primarily an individualistic thing. That when God saves you, he saves you to be part of his people. Chapter six, verse 16. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And then he finishes with that phrase about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brother. Amen. That focus there, brothers, <laughs> brothers and sisters, all of those who are in Christ, it's a little surprising to see that at the end of Galatians because Paul has been angry or at least intense through a lot of Galatians and you'd surprise to see him end with this indication of, of brothers. And then he makes this comment back in verse 16 here about being the Israel of God, about being the people of God. What does it look like to do this? Remember Galatians 3 that we looked at several weeks ago. Galatians 3 is the kind of the core verse about this reality. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Gospel theme number one, salvation by grace through faith. Gospel theme number two, that it happens through the cross of Christ. Number three, it transforms the way that I live. And number four, the gospel transforms my relationships. Because the things that should divide us from one another no longer do. Because our ultimate connection to other people is not based on worldly external factors, it's based on the cross of Christ. You may have heard uh, an old school preacher say something like, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. What a great image. What a great New Testament image that when we come to the cross, it doesn't matter how much money you bring. It doesn't matter how much religious pedigree you bring. It doesn't matter how many good works you bring. When we come to the cross, we all come in need of the salvation that Jesus brings. We all come with sin and death hanging over our heads. And instead of finding condemnation, we find grace and mercy 
and peace and love and salvation. And when that happens in my life, it transforms the way I relate to people around me. When you live in a world that is so incredibly polarized, when you live in a world that is so incredibly divided, the cross of Jesus changes that completely. It's not based on worth or external standards. It's based on our shared life in Christ. It's this picture of unity in diversity, and it reminds us of the importance and the power of the church. Points one, two, and three, salvation by grace through faith, the work of the cross, transformed living. If we just had those three, it would be easy to say it's just me and Jesus doing our thing. It's very individualistic. But Paul has been so clear throughout Galatians that it's about transformed relationships. It's about how do we live as the people of God. Now let me ask you to look at that list or think about that list. That list is not just about how we live as the church when we gather together. That list is our mission as we go out. This is the part that I don't want us to miss. The gospel is something that as Christians we need to rehearse over and over and over again. This message here should not feel new to you. (laughs) Many of you, you have heard this countless, countless, countless times and yet we need to hear it again and again and again to remember how good God is and what he's done in our life. But here's the other part of it. When God does these things in our life and in our church, it's this exact message that flows over into how we live in the world. Because when you go out to tell someone about the good news of Jesus, there's no pressure to force or manipulate or coerce that person to believe because you already know that salvation is by grace through faith. And when you go out to share the good news of Jesus, you don't do it from a perspective of worldly power. You do it as someone whose life has been shaped and branded by the cross. And when you go out into a world where there's so much pain, so much sin, so much death, you don't go out as someone who has no hope. We go as one who has been filled with the Holy Spirit that we are living in new ways, not because we got our life together, but because of what God is doing within us. And when you go out into a world that is divided and polarized and afraid and uncertain and doubtful, we go out as those whose relationships have been completely transformed. And so the goal of the church as we go out is not to win a war against people out there because the war is never against flesh and blood, is it? The war is always against the powers and the principalities of this dark age, the age that we know has been defeated through Christ. And so my encouragement to you as we get to the end of the book of Galatians is friends, do not forget how good the gospel of Jesus is. That it would remind you of what God has done in you and it would challenge you about what God wants to do through you. That in the days ahead as we move into Advent and we think about how does the gospel impact different areas of our life, as we move into 2021 and we think about the fruit of the Spirit and what does it look like to be a fruitful church, that this message, that these foundational ideas would drive us ahead. So what I want to do right now is I just want to pray that over you, that that would be true of our church, that that would be true of your life, 
And then we're going to spend just a couple of minutes in silent reflection, and I'll wrap us up. Would you bow your heads with me? Before I, before I pray over us this morning, um, if you're watching at home, if you're here in the room, can I ask you to reflect on your own relationship with God? That maybe I said earlier that this is something that you've heard and already believed, but that may not be true. That you may be hearing this and this feels like fresh good news. And maybe this... Uh, challenges certain things that you've always thought about your relationship with God? Have you responded in faith to the free gift of salvation that God has poured out toward you? Has your life been crucified with Christ? God, I no longer want to live for this world. I want to live for you. the Holy Spirit at work in your life? What does it look like in your life right now as you pray before the Lord? What does it look like to live a cross-shaped life? To live a Spirit-filled life? And let me ask you to pray where you are right now that God would protect you from a, a form of religion where it's all about looking good on the outside. Everything looks good on the outside of our family, the outside of our home, the outside of our church, the outside of our life, but things aren't good inside. I pray that God's kindness would draw you to repentance and confession. God, help me, help me drop the charade. Help me, help me drop the pressure to look like I have it all together. God, even if I'm a mess on the outside, I need you to do a good work on the inside. Let me ask you as well to pray about relationships that you have with people around you. Many churches have set aside this Sunday and next Sunday to pray for unity, unity in our church, unity in our country, in our world, we know that unity only comes through the cross. I pray right now that God would give you a spirit of forgiveness and gentleness toward those that you so quickly count as enemies. God, who do we divide ourselves from? Who do we find ourselves so quick to count as enemies when you call us to love our enemies? God, you've called us to do good to those who persecute us. God, your people, the way we live in the coming weeks should look radically different than the world around us. It begins with how we treat one another here as the church, but God, it matters a lot as we go out and we live our lives both online in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. And God, with everything in me, I pray a prayer of protection and blessing over the people of Emmaus. God, these are hard days. We know they are. We, we know we live in a present evil age. But God, we pray with great hope 
and great determination because you are a great God. And the gospel of Jesus is more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. And so God, as we move ahead as a church, we move ahead as those who are not ashamed of the gospel. And God, we want to experience the power of the gospel in our church in ways that go beyond anything we could ever make happen. And so God, at the end of our study of Galatians, we commit ourselves to you. We pray for your guidance and your strength and your wisdom in the days ahead. And God, we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.